0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. It's our first Sunday of April 2022. I can't believe it. How time flies. I just love new beginnings. I love the beginning of new months because it is a time for me when I like to reflect on the month gone by. And then I like to recommit to habits that reinforce my daily self-care. I don't know about you, but I always find that it's easy to kind of get set off track at some point mid-month. And so the beginning of the month always feels like a really intuitive time to look at how I've been doing as far as my commitment to my own personal asana practice goes as well as my meditation, my pranayama, you know, have I found time to journal, get out and walk in nature. I like to do that every day, drink more water, napping, you know, all the things that help to increase that sense of balance in my life. So I feel like this is a wonderful time to just reflect for yourself, you know, maybe journal if you like journaling or just sit and think about how you can fill your own cup first so that you can show up and serve people in your fullest capacity. Um, If you would like to join me Sunday, April 10th, it's coming up, you can join my half day retreat and in this retreat, we're going to try to breathe some new life into your yoga practice. We're going to focus on meditation and pranayama with some gentle asana practice. And then we're going to look at connecting to higher energy, envisioning your dreams and plugging into your bigger life purpose and some of the practices and maybe some mindset shifts that can really help you to create more clarity and help you move forward in your life. So I would love for you to join Sunday, April 10th. Uh, You can find all the notes or all the information in the notes, in the show notes, and also on my website, harmonyslater.com. It's going to be just a really nice time to meet together and practice together and go deeper into your yoga practice and also look at what really nourishes your spirit, you know, designing your own personal self-care practice from a spirit-centered point of view. What is it that really helps you that's really going to move the dial um, not just for you personally or in your self-care but also spiritually and even like in the rest of your life right sometimes we're doing things in our practices just because we feel like we should be doing them rather than they're really the things that are supporting our energy and our families and what we need at this stage or at this time in our life so we're going to look at all of that good stuff on april 10th in the half day retreat it's called the spirit-centered self-care retreat and I look forward to seeing you there. Today we have a wonderful guest who has her own vegan cooking show on YouTube called Vegan Vitality. She is also a practitioner who's worked in the wellness field for over 30 years. She has a master's degree in exercise physiology, and at one point she was working for Deepak Chopra as his personal trainer. So she's a wonderful human being. Many of you have probably met her in person or know her. She used to own a yoga studio for many, many years, and she is just a lover of animals. She's a lover of humans. She's a lover of taking care of yourself and nourishing yourself in all of these positive ways, especially with diet and as an addition to your yoga practice. So we're going to talk together um, and you're going to really, I hope, learn some things. She has several books that she's published. One is Yoga's Path to Weight Loss, A Mind, Body, Spirit Guide to Loving Yourself Lean, which sounds very interesting and the cheerleader speaks what God taught me about men and myself and she has a new book coming out too which we will also be talking about so Kathleen Kessner she is just um, a phenomenal practitioner and human being and she's now living in Encinitas and I can't wait for you to meet her Um, you're gonna love her energy she's just vibrant and um, she's gonna inspire you for sure to um, live your healthiest, most um, energetic, most vibrant, most delicious life that you possibly can. And be sure to check out her YouTube channel. Uh, vegan vitality especially if you're looking for some new ideas for vegan cooking it will be a great way to support your own um, practice of creating your own meals that are healthy and nutritious and delicious so without any further ado let's move on to our interview today with the beautiful kathleen kessner Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy to say hello today to Russell Case.
1: Oh, good morning, Harmony.
0: Good morning. And we are joined by the beautiful Kathleen Kessner. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm excited to get into it. You have so many amazing things to share. Oh, thank you.
1: You do seem to have a, a lot going on. We're going to try and get into them, and um, it's it's really incredible. You have a you must have a uh, like a, a schedule that you keep.
0: <laughs> How do you do all the things that you do? How do you fit it all in?
2: Oh, you guys, I really, I really don't do much compared to the two of you. I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have. Uh, Real, this is the best chapter of my life, really, for free time, but I I do try to get things done when they need to be done, but I have a lot of time in nature, that's for sure.
1: Oh,
2: that's amazing. Nice.
1: I, I just have a little intro uh for our listeners in Florida. Uh we I think we, we have a couple of listeners in Sweden, Florida, where else? Iceland. Iceland, yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: Also America and Canada.
1: Well, I I, I said Florida already. Um, Kathleen Kastner, is, and I did I pronounce that right as well? Yes,
3: it's great.
1: Kastner. Kathleen Kastner is a yoga teacher, author, <laughs> and vegan cooking instructor located in Encinitas, California. Yoga found her in 1993 while she was working for Dr. Deepak Chopra as his personal trainer. And her life began to shift in a positive direction. She has three cats. We saw one of them, a little white one. Noah, uh, Elijah,
0: Elijah,
1: and Olivia. And a stepmom to Caden and Kaya, who live in Las Vegas, which sounds very intriguing. Are you in Encinitas now?
2: Yes. My husband, Wade, and I moved here from Kansas City seven years ago to, of course, practice with Tim Miller Mm -hmm. and to be close to Self-Realization Fellowship, Yogananda's church. Oh my god. Yeah, goodness.
0: that's amazing. You, How long have you been connected with the Self-Realization Fellowship?
2: You know, since, gosh, it's, my life is such a long story. I don't know where to begin, but in, I was in Kansas <laughs> City for 16 years. And believe it or not, there is a SRF in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. It's a long story, but when Yogananda first came to the U S he did a tour and he went to Kansas city and met a wealthy businessman named James Lynn and James Lynn and him immediately connected. And anyway, James Lynn was a big funder of SRF and ended up buying him all this land where the ashram and next to Swami's beach here in Encinitas and became president of SRF when Yogananda passed. So wow. uh, his s- spiritual name was, uh,
1: Um, gosh, my, my understanding is his name is Rajarshi Janakananda. Yeah. We say Rajasri. 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 Yeah. Wow. Rajasri. says here. He's from Archibald, Louisiana. How about that?
2: Yeah, he was originally. And then I, he was in Kansas City for years. And okay. so Kansas City started their own, they call it Kansas City Meditation Group. But gosh, when I was going there in 2008, it had already been there 20 or 30 years. So oh my goodness! Right, that's, a, and then when I moved to Santa Monica, you know, Lake Shrine is there. And when I met my husband, he, you know, he was wanting to go, he had run Autobiography of a Yogi. So I guess, since 2008. <laughs> wow. Incredible.
1: Wow. I guess he and I went in the opposite directions. He he went from Archibald to Kansas. I went from, from Kansas to Louisiana. And yeah. so we just kind of reversed. Exactly. I he's a lot
0: older than you. He's
1: though. probably a little yeah. bit older than me. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure we have a lot in common. Yeah.
0: That's It's amazing because I think Autobiography of a Yogi um, was a book that sort of brought many of us into the path of yoga it was such a iconic book
2: yes I remember getting it at yoga works in the 90s Yeah. and, and not really of course understanding what I was doing <laughs> but yeah. you know was just you know amazed by his story and I wish I would have dove in, you know, right away to the path of SRF, but I was brand new to asana. Again, I was from Kansas. I, I did, This was all like a whole new world to me. I had never heard of yoga or consciousness. You know, nobody in my life was doing any of that when I was growing up.
0: Yeah, no, hmm. it's, it's, I mean, even in the nineties, which was sort of like when yoga was, I mean, yoga was really becoming popular outside of like transcendental meditation um, it still wasn't that popular. <laughs> exactly.
2: exactly. It was still kind of
0: weird and people were really like a little bit suspicious of it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I I wish, I know I would have loved it as a kid. I wish someone would have introduced me, but it, I guess it just wasn't meant to be.
1: Yeah. You, you know, when I picked up the book, speaking of suspicious, my brother it really set my brother off. Like I was changed. Like
0: Reading autobiography of a Yogi. I game.
1: was. And he was yeah. a little bit weirded out by me in the in the weeks following. Because <laughs> I was I had such a different kind of suddenly a different mindset about things. And I was very passionate suddenly. Like because for me it all hinged on this this notion of of what God was. And up until that point, I had developed a um a real um oh. Aversion, aversion to it, because I had a bad experience in the church, and I had a bad, and I was just not sure about it anymore. And reading autobiography of a yogi, it seemed to sort of flip the the definition of God on its tail. So, in, like, instead of seeing like a on its head. Uh huh. <laughs> Instead of seeing like a presiding judge hanging over me, it was, you know, this kind of understanding that all things are consciousness and all things are God. And it, it let me be passionate about my spiritual path in a way that I, that I was really frustrated with previous to that.
2: That makes perfect sense. I think that's one of the, the most beautiful things Yogananda did for people. He helped bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. Um, between God and even Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. I know my husband was indifferent (laughs) uh, from his upbringing. And so for him, he always says, you know, Yogananda's work has helped him bridge that gap. And I I feel like that's happened for a lot of people because the church is called the church of all religions, you know, everybody's Mm -hmm. welcome. And he referred to God as father, mother, God, friend, so in case someone had a negative connotation about their father, but yeah. they resonated with divine mother, or if they didn't have a positive experience with their mother, you know, you just say friend. And mm-hmm. that's the way I always taught um, when I was teaching in Kansas city is to just think of God as your absolute best friend. You know, there's no dogma. Yeah. There's definitely no guilt and shame. Nobody loves you more mm-hmm. than God. And yeah. just to, to see it in a positive light. Cause even though I was I was raised going to church for some reason my parents never talked to me about God or Jesus and you know my dad carried the cross and we went but you know mm-hmm. they didn't talk about it at all ever I don't know why but so for me maybe it was a positive because I always thought God was love and I I would look up at the cross and and felt love I just I just it was always a positive for me so I always felt really mm-hmm. lucky for that but for people who had a different experience that's why being one of the many reasons Yogananda's teachings have resonated with people all over the world.
1: Yeah. yeah that's funny because did you take your husband's name, Kastner?
2: No, that's my maiden name.
1: That's your maiden name? Because that's, yeah. a, that's a Yiddish word that means carpenter.
3: Oh, it's I a funny old thing. It's
1: a very common Jewish name. And I thought, oh, okay, we're going to be talking to Meshpuka here, and we're going to have a conversation about Judaism and coming to SFF, SRP and, and yoga. And
0: She's a good old fashioned
2: Kansas girl. You're a I Kansas
1: Christian. A good
2: old Kathy Kansas Christian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what? I'm actually adopted, which is a whole nother oh, wow. podcast, but.
1: Well, um, you look damn Scandinavian. I'll tell you that. So yeah, you...
2: I am. I'm, I'm uh, Greek and Swedish. And I actually know I'm friends with my mom, my biologic mom and dad. We are all, oh, wow. we are all very good friends much later in life. But my parents who adopted me are uh, Kastner and we were very German
1: yeah okay. <laughs> right
2: that makes it's sense it's also a yeah. German name, yeah yeah and my sister they had my sister before me believe it or not and um and yeah. then they adopted me because i couldn't get pregnant again
1: you
0: know, it's just yeah. it's so, so nice funny because there are people. a lot of
1: yeah. uh jewish carpenters
0: oh my goodness. no but there are <laughs> like jesus well jesus
1: for <laughs> example is a good one jesus
0: was a crossmaker. he know. was
1: a well, he never carried the cross to church, I'm sure. Um, did, so growing up in Kansas, what did you grow up outside of Kansas City?
2: I actually grew up in a town called Salina. That's about three hours from Kansas City. And it's mm-hmm. it's 50,000. So it's not tiny. I mean, it felt really small at the time, but I, I was born and raised. My mother is in my the same house from when I was four years old. So I had a lot of Stability. My parents were married until my dad passed, and you know, mm. I had a great childhood. I, I was very blessed. You know, I I never really fit in, so there was that. I was always, mm-hmm. uh, I was always definitely very different than my family, but mm-hmm. you know, we all loved each other for our differences, and it wasn't perfect, but I feel really grateful. And then I ended up meeting my birth mom when I was twenty-eight and my birth dad at thirty-eight, and. Wow! Oh, well. Yeah, my mom was outside of Kansas City, so that was easy. And my birth dad is in the forest in Oregon, and they're okay. they're, they're great people. They came to our wedding. Um, oh, amazing! Yeah, they they didn't date or anything. <laughs> that's the <Yeah>. PG, <laughs> That's the PG thirteen version. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: they, uh, right.
2: that's a whole another story. But um, yeah. they're young. They're all you know. They're early seventies. Yeah. I'm fifty three, so they were only nineteen when when
1: I was born. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I've had my, my parents come to a couple of my weddings, so it's, it's always a (laughs) little (laughs) unnerving, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. It must've been, it must've been fascinating for them to see each other again.
2: Yes. They, um, they had seen each other at a class reunion right before, but they didn't know yet. And then it's such a long story, but my mom was a little confused on who the father was. But once, she, once right. she figured it out, I, I got a, I did a DNA test and it was him and he's really great. Mm. He's very much a hermit, no cell phone, no email, no answering machine, but he still calls me and checks up on me, which I think is very That's sweet. nice. Yeah, so was he, he the had... Greek one?
1: He is the Swedish Greek. one? Yes, he's Greek. Yeah, he was
2: Z- a Greek one. Zuzis. <laughs> Zuzis. Oh my goodness. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and he never had children. So that, that was a big deal. When we met, you know, he could have completely, you know, said, no, thank you. So I got really lucky. And my parents who Mm -hmm. raised me, unfortunately, my dad did not get to meet my biological dad, but he got to meet my mom. So that was, that was nice.
0: Okay. So nice.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. That's just such an incredible, an incredible life story too. to have these different influences and, and people like all so connected to your Heritage.
2: yes it's pretty amazing when we were standing at our wedding my mom was my birth mom was on the right of me and my dad was on the left of me and it was like this is the first time the three of us have been together since basically i was conceived <laughs> and i felt wow, this wow. Wow. wave of energy go whoosh, through through yeah. all three of us i i really did wow. i was like wow that was pretty powerful so i just take it that i was supposed to come to that to the planet at that time in history and they yeah. they were the ones that got me here. So I'm I'm very grateful. Very grateful she had me and um very grateful she gave me up for adoption.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Mm. All good things. <laughs> all good things. Yeah. Yes. It's a great story. But yeah, it also, I mean. you know, there's I, I don't wanna lie that it's been all, you know. It's all been rainbows. <laughs> no yes, no. But, uh,
3: probably, yeah. nothing's
0: ever been a, yeah, just a rainbow. Probably especially growing up. There was a lot of like challenging times emotionally for you too.
2: Yeah. I think all adoptees, I mean, we, we can be yeah. you know, very screwed up for sure. And angry. Is the <laughs> other <laughs> that kind of thing because you just there's just this subconscious thing that you've been you've been taken from your source and so I've read a lot of books about it. I, I have friends who are adopted. And so everybody's got their own story, but ultimately you have to trust that it was all divinely perfect, even if you don't understand it and, and really just move yeah. forward. Yeah, move forward. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I have to say, you know, growing up as a kind of um, weird little half Jewish kid in Illinois and, and Kansas, uh, I definitely struggled to kind of come to grips socially Uh How were you different from the other kids though? You seem like a nice, like Kansas. Thank you. Well, you know
2: what? I actually, (laughs) I, I I feel lucky. I really, I felt like I fit in with my peers. I always had a lot of friends and I, and I Mm -hmm. had, I was always in public school. So I had lots of diverse, you know, different friends (laughs) and, um, I really made a point to, to be friends with everybody. I have my clothes. I'm still best friends with my friend from first grade, if you can believe it.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. So, I love that.
2: Um, I actually tried to seek out the kids that maybe didn't feel as comfortable or were shy because I have always been very outgoing and tried to include people. So for me, that part was easy. My family was. I was pretty much a vegetarian as a child, but no one, no. no one, no one knew it until I got really sick on beef as like a first grader. So things like why that. would you
1: do that?
2: <laughs> why would you become
1: a vegetarian?
2: I in know, Kansas, in the beef capital, my mom made me right like a last bite of roast, and it really backfired on her later. Oh. <laughs> so oh. you know, I just think my mom says now, soulfully, I was born a vegan, but. You know, no one in my family is, re- <laughs> is remotely a vegetarian, and will mm. will never will never be. So things like that, I, I was. Um, I loved being with animals. I loved being in nature. You know, even though I was outwardly, you know, you know, would hang out with my friends, but I always would go climb trees. I loved to be by myself. I wasn't very family mm. oriented for some reason. I would always go upstairs and be in my room by myself and um Mm -hmm. i just didn't really feel like i fit into my own family but ironically i fit fit in better with my peer group i don't know why
0: yeah (laughs) yeah it can be challenging sometimes i think too we put a some pressure on the people that were around all the time we want them to we want to be like them and and with our friends sometimes that pressure isn't there so much
2: yes that makes perfect sense (laughs)
0: <laughs> we're like, why, why are we not like each other? <laughs> but with friends, you're kind of like, oh, it makes sense why we're not like each other. And we, we can still kind of, you know, well, have you
2: know, that I'll relationship. Handle. Yes, exactly. And, you know, to be honest with you, I just wasn't like, I didn't, wasn't really that deep as a child. I was just doing my child routine. I just kind of did. Well, you <laughs> were, yeah.
1: But you were sort of veg- you were vegetarian then sort of yes. intuitively.
2: I was not trying, I was did, trying, but it wasn't. I unfortunately kept eating. I ate chicken until my twenties, but right. yeah. But
1: it, you know, that sounds like you were making a conscious decision to not uh, be violent. That sounds like a quite a, a profoundly deep thing for a child to do.
2: Oh, thank you. You know, I wish I wish someone would have really spelled it out to me. You think I would have figured that out? That that was a cow. <laughs> that, the ham, <laughs> that the ham was a pig. I mean, I would have had a. I would have flipped out, you know, if someone would have taken me to a farm sanctuary. Mm. I I mean, it's really mind blowing that I didn't quite figure that out. You know, there's these Gandhi like children now who immediately make that connection, you know? So Mm. I wish I had, but, um, you know, my dad had, my dad died of type two diabetes in his sleep. He ate a ton Mm. of animals, unfortunately, and well, he's
1: greek isn't he
2: well i'm and sorry her, that's that's her the dad who raised adopted me Adoptive
1: father okay yeah.
2: yeah my adoptive father yeah, he always German, wasn't he? yeah and he always struggled <laughs> he, he struggled with his weight and food and alcohol and he was still yeah. the nicest member of my family but so we would like jog together <laughs> when we, when he was young but then through the years the the food addiction really took over and he wasn't able to exercise mm-hmm. that much anymore you know
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so hard too. I think when um, people are really struggling with their weight. And especially as you get older, it just gets harder and harder to um, lose weight and get in shape. And like, and then you're already struggling. And then you can't really exercise the way you want to exercise because you have this massive obstacle that feels yeah, like Yeah it's not moving. I see it also with my father. It's it's really frustrating for him.
2: Yes, it's very sad. It's like a cycle. I think, you know, their food habits are so ingrained. My dad would be, gosh, eighty-six. He died at sixty-seven. So it's mm-hmm. just oh, so hard for him. I would write him letters from college, but it just it was just, he just, he didn't really want to change. And he was by, he was like the nicest member of my family. He, he really loved, loved me and was always so kind, always kind to me, very supportive and loving. And I, I'm sorry that he didn't get to stay longer, but he, he had a couple wake up calls with his carotid arteries filling up, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. he just, um, his first heart attack, he just didn't wake up on Easter morning. It's pretty tragic. My mom found him and yeah it was just it was just devastating for everybody, so I think that's why yeah. I'm so passionate about helping people who you know who want to help. Not everybody wants help with with food yeah. and weight because it really can help extend your life,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: I, I want to ask you about a a book that you that you wrote. I'm not sure if this is your first book or your third, but it um, I have here Yoga's Path to Weight Loss. A Mind-Body-Spirit Guide to Loving Yourself, Lean. And so I'd like to ask you about how you you came up to, to write that book. But I also want to just say that, you know, I think our listeners know that Harmony and I are both um, a little skittish around the subject. We both have our body dysmorphia issues, and, you know, there's anorexia um, around us. And I think we both of us sort of land somewhere between, like, healthcare advocates on one hand and trying to support and acknowledge the body positive movement. I just want to know if you could tell us about that book and maybe where, where would you land on, on those issues?
2: Sure. Well, when I was at, Working as an exercise physiologist, I worked at the Pritikin Longevity Center in Santa Monica. It was the Pritikin Diet at the time, and so I had people who weighed five hundred pounds. So I've I've seen I worked with all all ages, all sizes, and what we would see there is we would train them. It was it was like it was vegetarian and a lot of exercise, but not really any emotional, spiritual tools. So some of them Mm -hmm. would lose and then they'd be right back. And this went on and on. And I was like, I had come from working for Dr. Chopra and I was like, gosh, we're just not offering them anything more. I mean, some people can get the science of eating less and exercising more, but most people Mm -hmm. need, you know, more tools than that. So I just felt like we were almost setting them up for failure. They would go home and come back and go home and come back. So finally, once I started teaching yoga, it's a long story. When I moved to Kansas City, I was personal training by day, teaching yoga at night, and my yoga students were just dropping weight before my eyes without even trying. They weren't there to lose weight, you know. Right. My personal training clients were there to lose weight and weren't really losing weight. What I found and what the way I used to be was – People would exercise for hours a day, but didn't want to change their food. You know, yes. they didn't want to look at what they were eating. For me, it was how much I was eating. And so here comes yoga. And I wasn't trying to lose weight. And, I, you know, the same thing for me. Like, I just dropped 10 pounds without even trying. So through the years, watching people come up to the front desk and just even just looking at their face, you could tell they were mm-hmm. losing, you know, without like analyzing their body. So I was like... You know, this this is really the most effective form of weight loss, especially Ashtanga. Yeah. Or, or and, you know, and six days a week. And for me, yeah, like the first thing uh you know, I partied a lot, I drank, I smoked cigarettes, I was a wild Kansas girl. And so you know <laughs>
1: uh for those at home, um especially those in Florida, drinking and smoking cigarettes is considered very wild behavior in Kansas.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, dr- no drugs, thank God. But, I mean, I, 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 I yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I, figured,
1: I just thought I'd lay that out for the Floridians.
2: <laughs> I, I think I dabbled in a few, but it was like I was in the heavy metal time of, of bad hair bands right. and drinking and mm. stuff. <laughs> So thank god the first thing that left when i started practicing yoga was partying you know i did not mm-hmm. it didn't even try to stop it just it just quit me if that makes sense you know yeah. um rolf gates writes in his book meditations yeah. from the mat he was he had issues with alcohol he, he's yeah. in his book and he said that once you start a regular yoga practice your bad habits lose you and mm-hmm. that is exactly what happened to me. I couldn't believe it. And I was a vegetarian, then I became vegan. And this didn't happen overnight. But it, each year, like something was dropping. And then the real <laughs> kicker was caffeine. I had been on coffee for 20 years, you know, every, yeah, like a lot of coffee. And so and and it was such a miracle. And then I just I quit all caffeine 14 years ago, which I never thought I would be able to say. And that wow. for me was, I think it was from yoga. It was, it was from meditation. It was from God. I knew God wanted me to quit and I just kept doing it anyway. But finally I had a big clarity gong and I, I quit caffeine. So, um, but back to the weight loss. So when I saw these people losing weight, and you know, this went on for 10 years before I wrote the book and I just thought, you know, diet and exercise just doesn't work for everybody. People need more tools. So I wrote the book, and it's basically asana, meditation, walking in nature, mm-hmm. praying, and affirmations so that people mm-hmm. had some emotional and spiritual tools to go along with the diet and exercise. And it was vegan because I really believe that a low-fat um, vegan diet, plant-based diet, is, is wonderful for weight loss. Mm-hmm. It really yeah. helps people hmm. because it has so much fiber. It has zero cholesterol. Um, obviously, the ahimsa aspect—you know, you're not ingesting yes. anything that's been tortured or fear. And um, I ended up getting certified in plant-based nutrition with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. So I I follow nice. those yeah. plant-based doctors like Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Caldwell Essington. Yeah. So and yeah, their work. Is I love really, those guys. Do you? Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're they're amazing, and they have a huge following. the The whole food, plant based uh, diet people who yeah. do no no oil or and very low fat. Doctor C is it C Campbell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, T Colin Campbell. Oh, yeah, he T wrote, Colin Campbell. Yeah, he wrote the China Study. And yeah, that's um,
0: a, that's an amazing book.
2: It's an amazing have- book.
0: Yeah. And I have
1: to say, uh, just to piggyback on that, there's um that book um First There is a Well. maybe it's not First There Is a Well, but it's um uh it's it it's about the ACES study that uh Kaiser did and it was uh uh something, you know, like uh 50, people who were looking at adverse childhood experiences and weight loss. And so much of the time what they were discovering is that the people who um, we're really struggling with weight we're also really stru- struggling with trauma issue and issues, and maybe especially around childhood abuse and and sexual abuse that there was um there was issues around you know not wanting to uh lose weight because of the of the uh of how it protected a person and how it felt like it was protective. Have you ever? Did you ever see those kinds of? Did you ever yes, see that that study?
2: Absolutely, it's almost textbook that somebody who might be very heavy has had some kind mm-hmm. of trauma or abuse and is using it as protection, so that mm-hmm. it, they don't want to be touched right. and they don't want someone to be attracted to them. You know, I think it's yeah. I mean, I I feel like it would be very subconscious, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course.
1: Yeah. And there's, but there's there's also, you know, ethnicity issues as well, because you know, maybe um for for a white community, maybe uh weight is less attractive than say an African American community, where it can be uh very joyous uh yes. to be a little heavier and be very attractive and and celebrated. And so you know, these things kind of come in into play as well.
2: I think it's fabulous that it's celebrated. I love that. I really. I think it's. I think it's beautiful. And, and when you talked about body positivity, I mean, I absolutely think people have to love and accept themselves exactly where they're at. You know, mm-hmm. and and you just have to. You can't shaming yourself isn't going to help you change. You know, you have to really love yourself. And if you're interested, you know, in changing your body or or improving your health. You know, then that's up to them. That's the one thing I worry about when someone's really heavy is I worry about like heart disease in in a young person or or cancer or diabetes or high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Because I have seen it in even children, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. Heart, Sugar. Dis- heart disease we think it's just for grandparents you know and right our food system, it used to be I, I know it used to be <laughs> but, you know sadly uh, my third grade boyfriend yeah. I know that sounds hilarious but he died at 50 of his first heart attack already so I just think oh, um, goodness gracious yeah. food systems change so much and people are more sedentary so I absolutely want people to love themselves where they're at and and you know you know, also consider the health aspect of it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's so um, important, like that part of it, that that there's, I think, those underlying unconscious blocks where you do feel shame or you do like feel hatred for parts of yourself actually um, act against you in like moving towards Whatever you're wanting to move towards, right? If if you're yes. actively trying to to change your body or your health, it's like you almost have to befriend yourself yeah. and like develop that self-compassion and really like love yourself, like you're saying, and and be joyful about you know the things you can do. And because you you can only really build on the positive if it's if it's so negative, then it just stays like it it stays in that really stagnant negative state and that's not going to help you know move you anywhere really
2: oh it's very true i remember louise hay saying yeah it's something, i'm going to i'm going to paraphrase if if hating yourself hasn't worked try loving yourself instead something like that yeah that's beautiful and that's you like what of the... everything
1: Mm -hmm. One of the the best things that ever happened to me was, was I, I got to make out with Louise Hay at a party in Encinitas in Carlsbad.
0: And you you know, she was,
1: she was a little bit older than me, but I, I can like a lot
0: older. I can right
1: now very clearly feel her tongue in my ear. And I just want to say a big shout out to Louise. We miss you. RIP.
3: That was a good night.
1: That was a good time. Um, she did not remember it as well as I did the next day, but, um,
2: You are so funny. I was at her 90th birthday. Were you there?
1: Wow. I'm yeah. You know, I've been wondering if we've been at a couple of parties together because Louise Hayes 90th, I think I was at Louise Hayes 90th. Um, I was at a, at a party at Deepak Chopra's house and General Wesley Clark was there, and it was like a mindfulness uh, fundraiser. And I was wondering if you were at that party.
2: You know, like ten I, years ago, I was. I was not living here. I when I worked with Dr. Chukra, oh, yeah. I was twenty-five, almost thirty, actually thirty years ago when I met with him. And I, I uh, have been to other things at his house, but it wasn't that same party.
1: It was so funny. <laughs> I, I was in line behind the guacamole at, <laughs> in. And uh I kind of felt like I'd butted into to General Clark and I and I just said, Yes, sir, you go, you go right ahead, sir. Just go right in. And he kind of looked at me like, Are you taking the piss right now? You making fun of me because I'm a general? What the fuck are you doing? And I was like, Oh, this is oh, I'm never gonna be friends with this guy. And then it was like the rest of the night, I would just like I was watching Deepak just kind of avoid people. <laughs> And he would like kind of like hide a little bit behind the curtains, hide behind a pillar, hide behind the guacamole stand. It was like, wow, this guy, he's kind of shy, isn't he?
2: Yeah. When you said that, I was kind of surprised he opened up his home to a fundraiser. (laughs) That was, <laughs> uh, i was like that was um i was surprised yeah yeah I mean, dr took yeah, fun was... he's uh, you know when i see him you know he's cute he's like because when i met him neither one of us were doing asana and oh right. really yeah we were like cardio and weight people and then through his staff they taught me my first sun salutation
3: oh, was, oh wow it's
2: a long story i worked at a hospital and I was at center for sports medicine and he had the center for Mind body medicine upstairs. And when I became his trainer, we ended up putting a gym in his house and I trained he, he and his wife. But then staff taught me sun citations that led me to my first class. Um, mm-hmm. I started with Vinny yoga in, right. in Solana beach. And God, I was so pathetic i was like just trembling in triangle i was just profusely sweating my. in triangle because i was so tight from being a fitness person it was just yeah, yeah. i was
0: gonna say were you kind
2: of like muscly yeah
0: i had you know I, was,
2: I you know i probably some people think i looked better but yeah i was a lot, was a lot bigger than <laughs> I, I was bigger and i ate a lot back then too but um yeah mm. and then when right. I, my first shavasana i was just like i mean I had silent tears coming down my face. I, wow. I had no idea what was happening, and so unfortunately, I didn't go a lot. I would go like once a week, and then yeah. I moved to Santa Monica to work for Pritikin. and I started going to vinyasa classes at Yoga Works with Max Strom, and then I then I realized that yoga could really move and be more cardio,
3: <laughs> cardio, right? So,
2: which yeah. was really fun, and I remember him saying. I think you would like a Shtanga, but I didn't, I didn't know what that was yet. And I tried going to one of Mati's Mysore classes, but everyone was just flying around me and I had no idea what was going on. Right. You know, they weren't going to give you a private or hand you the sheet. Now I understand. But when I I moved to Kansas city, I I moved there and actually just meet my birth mom and I decided to stay. And, um, mm. They brought in this wonderful woman to our yoga studio named Lori King from Chicago, and I have never heard of her. It's like she was an angel. She dropped into <laughs> Kansas City, taught us in a workshop, and she just blew my mind. I, I was like, wow. Wow. It, was, it was 25 years ago this month. I remember just watching her going, "I want to do that." You know, she was mm-hmm. floating and doing everything, and she was so. The best part was she was nice. She was yeah. so, yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that a rarity sometimes? Yeah, totally. She, That's good. She, yeah, she was so nice and so kind. And, and then she disappeared. She went to Rome. She returned to her Catholic roots and got a PhD in theology. And literally no one's ever heard from her again. Wow. <laughs> I think That's she, a shame. I think she levitated in Rome. I don't know what happened to yeah. her. Yeah. But she really, Incredible. she changed my life. I mean, I started practicing with a few friends with some VHS tapes from David Swenson and friends, you yeah. know, and and then we we added an ashtanga class to the schedule, and then the teacher moved, and they asked me to take it over, and that's how I got started. <laughs> that's amazing.
0: Yeah, and Can then I, I just asked yes, to...
2: please. I'm
1: sorry. I I just want to kind of s- s- situate ourselves here. So, your three hours out of Kansas City growing up, um, you're you're quite a bit different from your family. I just want to see how do we get from A to B to you being an Ashtanga yoga teacher in Santa Monica and Kansas City? How did you make that transition? I mean, were you an athletic kid? Were you working out a lot, and and then you ended up going to college. It was like
2: what, were to personal training first.
1: Yeah. So yeah, so I, like I how a, did it all happen for you?
2: I was just, I was like, I don't know. No one said I was ADD, but I was always moving as a kid. My mom put me on <laughs> swim team when I was six, and wow. I, I was on track when I was eight. I was doing pentathlons by ten, and I wow. then, I then – I was a tall skinny kid but I was fast for some reason cuz I'm not even remotely fast now but I was really fast <laughs> and then you're going to laugh it just all came kind of I had so much anxiety about competing that I just mm-hmm. I just took myself out and my mom took me to the doctor I was supposed to go to a national pentathlon and I was I think I was about ready to have a nervous breakdown and my I was only 10 and my best friend had invited me to Hawaii and the doctor said send her to Hawaii instead of the track. Meet. So I did. And I was really glad because I, I was not in my soul to like win and beat people, you know, right. Mm-hmm. It just happened to be that I was athletic and, you know, people thought that that's what I should do. And then I actually be, started dancing more. I did ballet tap and jazz all through high oh, school. Nice. I wasn't, you know, like an exceptional <laughs> dancer, but I enjoyed it. And then I started jogging mm-hmm. for fun. I would do, you know, a, but of course, it was always obsessive. You know, I'd run six miles every day instead of right. one mile. You know, if I could have just done one mile, I might have. Right. Been... And then I started lifting weights and going to aerobics and all the things you did in the 80s. But it was it was always too much. You know, I would run to the YMCA, high, high kick in an aerobics class, <laughs> then go lift weights and then run home. And I was just like, right. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was mm. doing... But, you know, looking back, Some, you know, I've heard people say, you know, what were you running from? And I don't, I really didn't sit around feeling like I wasn't good enough or wasn't worthy, but something subconscious was, was driving that obsession with exercise. And, you know, and then I started controlling my food. I wouldn't eat enough. And then Mm -hmm. I, then later I would be the opposite. I would eat way too much. You know, I was just, I would never had anorexia or bulimia, but it was definitely not a good balance at all
1: right yeah it's. it sounds like there's some stuff there as you said of of not feeling worthy and being adopted and then doing all this stuff to compensate
2: to compensate yeah that looking back that's all i can really come up with and then I actually just really enjoyed moving too. <laughs> you know, yeah. I would, I, my mom said she tried to put me in for a nap and I would just kick the wall, you know, so I had a <laughs> I I would sit on my head. I would do a headstand and watch all on the couch and watch all-star wrestling, you know? Right. Ah.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I was just always, yeah. you know, I was in gymnastics. I just did every sport, tennis, diving, swimming. I did everything. I never did anything like super great besides those that pentathlon era, but everything else was just kind of just staying and moving and being with group fitness. But I loved exercise so much that that is why I decided to major in it. I, first of all, I got an undergrad in journalism because I took a biology class at my big university and I got a C with a tutor. And I thought, there's no way oh. I I can major in science. <laughs> <laughs> so I went ahead and, and chose journalism. And I did a couple internships my junior year. And I knew that I had made a mistake, that I wanted to do health. And so I just stuck it out and then started grad school back for exercise fizz. And it, it'll, it just took two years. And, and in the long run, I was glad I did it.
1: I have another text here that you wrote. And I keep waiting for you to say this and to jump in (laughs) because I, I wondered what, you know, where you had landed um, in exercise. It's you wrote a book called the cheerleader speaks (laughs) what God taught me about men and myself. And I thought, well, first thing I thought of is you don't see a lot of Jewish cheerleaders. And then the second, the second thing I thought, well, did, did, You haven't talked about being a cheerleader yet, and it sounds like it was something that was important to you.
2: Well, the title is actually kind of a spoof on myself, on the way I I looked. (laughs) Okay. I I was only a cheerleader in seventh grade for one year, and I, I I lacked the cheerleading spirit, that's for sure. Oh, you did! I was very bored. It was very linear. I just thought, "What the hell am I doing on this basketball court?" (laughs) You know, I just—it was just kind of like, "Well, I fit the stereotype." My sister was a cheerleader, but boy, after one year, that was it for me. So that's kind of a joke that. Like men, uh, okay. men expected me to be like that, you know. I a mean, cheerleader. Like, yeah, like <laughs> my friends say that I'm a cheerleader, like for them and their lives. So I like that kind of cheerleading, but, um, yeah. like, yeah. And that was before the age of cheerleading, when it was intense gymnastics, like it is now. You know, with the pyramids right. and the flipping, and this was just standing there on the basketball court. So I, I actually never did it again, but. Um, yeah, my that bro- you were in the
0: pom poms and high kick era. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and then I was, you know, in high school we had dance team, so that was a little better. At least I was, you know, dancing and moving. So, but I, I was, yeah. your, you know, I looked like your stereotypical cheerleader, but I always dated the bad boys. Always dated, oh. like I mean, like been There's kicked a out. Special
1: of, allure to yeah. The bad boy. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, I, and unfortunately, I did it for about twenty years, and started in seventh grade and my first boyfriend had flunked twice if that tells you anything and Mm -hmm. and the counselors were not happy that I was dating somebody and I really they
1: didn't talk to you about who you were dating did they?
2: yes they called into the office oh like we were my worried.
1: goodness
2: and that what did that oh. do that made me just love my boyfriend more <laughs> right <laughs>
1: that's nuts
2: yeah i didn't
1: know the counselors did that hey,
2: I, I was i was so mad i was yeah. like i thought it was up none of their business it was absolutely none yeah. of their business and Anyways, unless your
1: parents had told him to do it.
2: No, my parents. (laughs) I know my parents were not happy, but they just my parents were just so mute. They just never talked about anything. They they just let me like flounder and figure it out. But yeah, I I dated, but it was it wasn't that they were bad men. I just kept picking addicts and musicians and artists, and they were always sexy. And terrible yeah. for me. Artists, huh?
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. Those are the worst of them.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. No. They like a lot of time alone. I'll give them that.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: No, yeah. artists. My. Yeah, I dated an artist for a long time, and he was a great guy. I loved him a little too much. Was the problem? Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, it's
1: probably also Harmony's problem. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> your little artist
1: there. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, I might need your book. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so,
1: what did God teach you about dating artists?
2: Well, with artists, my artist, unfortunately, um, didn't tell the truth. Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and liked, art liked, is a liked, lie <laughs> that tells the truth, though. That's what, <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's <laughs> he, what art is. He would love that. Yeah, you know <laughs> yeah. just um not not monogamous, you know, it was pretty heartbreaking, but you know, I just finally had to my husband now is just so different than anyone I ever dated and that's that's why I married him. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was really kind and my artist was really kind too, but I just you know, not being faithful and lying, I couldn't feel you know, I put up with it for many years, but finally I <laughs> I did change. But I felt like I felt like the universe kept giving me the same lesson, like over and over and over, until mm-hmm. I stepped off the wheel and made a different choice. And so mm-hmm. I, I finally did when I met my husband. Well, before I met my husband, my friend said, Did you ever think about praying for the man God chose for you? And I had never done that. I had never even hmm. I had done that with work and where I was living, but I had never said, who do you want me to marry or date? And so when I did that, it's like the whole world shifted. And then he showed up and Jorgen's Meister class, like within 10 days. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. It is amazing. (laughs) That's interesting.
1: I had a, I had a friend once tell me that she, um, she had decided to start dating women And she said she was complaining and she said, you know, I'm attracting the same dirt bags that I was that I was attracting when I was dating men. (laughs) And I said, well, I said, well, maybe that's because you're you're sitting there, you know, attracting people. Maybe you should go look for the person that you want to date Mm. rather than wait for them to come to you. And it, Mm. it sounds like that's what you did there. You made a prayer and you went and found you discovered the man that, that you wanted
2: i i really feel like it worked i would i would read all these things about spirituality and dating and making your list and manifesting yeah. quote unquote and finally i read this book it was a chakra book and it said write down everything you want and i thought oh no here we go again and then I, and then at the end <laughs> she said now go burn it over the sink because what you want might uh, be, what, what you want might not be good for you. and that that really resonated with me, and it was, right. it was true. and so and my husband was very different than he had been a police officer for ten years, way oh. way before I met him. I mean, he has long hair now, you'd never know, but he was a cop. <laughs> he'd been a cop. he um, was miraculously vegan. Because he'd had cancer and had to change his whole diet and, and lifestyle. Yeah, he yeah. he was was super kind. Our first date, he invited me over. He cooked me a vegan meal and gave me Reiki. And I thought, where do I sign? Where? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I I stayed way too late and drove home at like three in the morning, going, "Oh my god, I'll marry you tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I did, I mar-
2: and we married six months later. M- so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, wow. is super kind. He he is a giver, you know. And but a lot of that, I had an astrologer, and I'm not really into astrology to be honest with you. But when I was younger, I had an astrologer say to me, he said two things. Let's see if I can remember them. Did you ever think you're attracting project men because you don't have to look at yourself? And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, wow, okay. that was a Doozer, yeah. and I thought can work yes. on someone
1: else rather than yourself. Yeah, yeah.
2: Here, I'm. Yeah, exactly. And then, oh, did you? Did you ever think you're afraid of an equal? And I thought that mm-hmm. was not that I was better, but just like someone like you're taking care of you, I'm taking care of me, and let's come together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't need to fix me. I don't need to fix you. And uh, mm-hmm. so I feel like you know, there's a saying that you are the common denominator and all your relationships. So it's easy for me to yeah. sit back and like go, Oh, well, I'm going to blame him. But obviously I was attracting, um, I thought this was what I, the love I deserved, you know, whether you were, you mm-hmm. know, whatever you were doing to me. So something in me felt, but I, you know, I, the more I read about spirituality and relationships, if I could just it's back to the self love, you know, if I could, Mm -hmm. you know love myself enough to know that I I deserve somebody who was going to be honest and faithful that hopefully that would connect up instead of me always attracting the other so I felt like God was trying to just say you know you you can have it can be different but you've got to realize your self-worth first you know
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's like such an important thing. I mean, it's, it's sort of a beautiful kind of central theme in, in both of the books that you've written and that we've talked about here. But if you don't believe that you deserve, you know, whatever to, you know, lose 10 pounds or to, you know, not have heart problems or high cholesterol or right. If you don't, have that sense of self love and, and really like cherish yourself. It's really hard to make those changes and same in relationships. If you don't feel like you deserve respect or, you know, you're just, um, not loving yourself, people kind of treat you or mistreat you and the, and you allow it right.
1: Or you, you gain some weight and you feel like you don't deserve love for having it.
0: That's I true. Yeah. That's, That's the
1: inverse. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean and it's this re- is
2: like a vicious cycle that like feeds itself. It's true. I did so much self-help. I, I would just read self-help nonstop. Not a lot of therapy, but <laughs> I read so much self-help. I have all these great quotes just memorized because so many people along my path helped me. So Deepak has a book. I think it's a path. Have to love, but he said you'll find love when you know that you are love. oh beautiful! It's very simple. And then, good old Doctor Phil used to say, "You teach people. Yeah, you teach people how to treat you. So if you, yeah, if you say yes, I accept that thing. You know, but it's it's amazing when you do draw your line in the sand that things can shift. You know, they're you, they're either going to stay or they're going to go. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I,
1: I don't know where I was, but I was watching a Dr. Phil episode and it was just the funniest damn thing. Uh, I think we were together, Harmony. And there was a woman who was a single mom and she had a kid that was bossing her about, he was we 10 were years eating old
0: Vietnamese.
1: and we were eating Vietnamese. That's right. It was the only <laughs> thing on TV. And uh, no,
0: we were in the restaurant and it was on TV. eating Vietnamese. Yeah.
1: Watching it yeah, on the TV, it was on
0: TV in the restaurant. It was we, on we TV no in the choice. restaurant.
1: That's the same thing. That's exactly <laughs> the same thing. Don't be ashamed of it. I'm we were watching the show,
3: and um,
1: this kid, this ten-year-old, is it has a little man cave where he plays Call of Duty all day long, and he bosses his mom about and tells her to get more food or pick this up. He doesn't do anything, and Doctor Phil, and she's like presenting the situation. From Dr. Phil, and he says, well...
0: My kid's unmanageable and abusive. I, uh,
1: I know what's wrong with him. I want to know what's wrong with you.
2: Uh, I, <laughs> love, I, like, oh, I love awesome. him. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was it great. was really good, actually. <laughs> yeah, I
1: was like, yeah, that's right. That's
2: good. Uh, he really sucks it to you. He'll be like, how's that working for you?
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. are
2: like, it's not but i (laughs) I think that like for yoga for me i feel like one of yoga's gifts greatest gifts if not the greatest gift is it helps people love themselves the way god sees them Mm -hmm. you know you're just shavasana Mm -hmm. is just like you're just bathed in that divine love that's why i think i had an emotional my very first shavasana i was tearing up because you just you just feel so unconditionally loved and accepted and i think the more time mm. people spend in that energy, whether it's shavasana, meditation, asana, that it really does shift the way you think about yourself. You know,
0: totally. Yeah, yeah. And then you, yeah, you, it's like sp- spending that quiet, quality time with like your highest, deepest self, whatever that is for you. Yes. Whether it's God or you know your inner consciousness or energy. But like, you have to kind of nourish that relationship and and take the time with that space if you want that connection.
2: Yes. And I feel like it just, it just spreads out to every area of your life. I had a lady, she was a serious Mm -hmm. smoker. And she told me once she had about a 30 minute drive to class and she said, Kathleen, I got out of Shavasana, I always light a cigarette and drive home. And she goes, I just didn't even think about it.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's you amazing. Know,
2: when people would yeah. tell me in the teacher trainings, I, I'm cleaning things I've never cleaned before, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, just, like, it just like parlays into everything, you know, their diet I, for yeah. sure, you know, that not wanting meat anymore was, you know, that, that happens for sure. I think, mm-hmm. I think eating less because we feel fulfilled from the inside out that we don't feel like we need to, you know, just overeat or stuff ourselves. As much, you know, yeah. You just find that balance. That that balance, I think, everybody's seeking is really what yoga has helped me with the most. You know,
0: yeah, and that's sort of like the strange magic of yoga. Like it, it starts to work in these kind of mysterious ways. Like you're explaining, you know, we feel more fulfilled, so we're less interested in filling, or we feel clean inside, so we're less interested in ingesting things that create pollution inside ourselves, Right? whether it's our mind or our body or um, our emotions. and, And it just kind of that quality of sattva, as it comes up, you know, attracts us to more sattvic things or more pure things, more... Organic things, more wholesome things, rather than being in the other two gunas, right?
2: Absolutely, mm. it makes perfect sense. I, I would sometimes like do a little poll around the class. How has yoga changed your life? And I remember one—he mm. uh, was an older man—said he said my friends have changed, and I was like, mm. I know, I, I love go. that. I go, that makes perfect sense, you know.
3: Yeah. And,
2: yeah. It, and you're right. Like if you have to get up in the morning and go to Shonga, you know, you don't want to have, have that extra cocktail or extra ice cream or whatever, exactly. you know, like I got to get up and practice. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. It makes a big difference.
1: I, I remember when, when my, um, my mom quit smoking, she did something really interesting that I really, that I really always admired. Uh, she said, well, you know, quitting smoking is a lot of work, but being a non-smoker means you don't have to do anything. Mm. Yeah, that's,
2: that's, that's a great way to shift it, isn't
1: it? Yeah, just shifting it. And okay. sometimes that can help you get up early. It's like, well, I'm not a morning riser. It's like, well, that's, you know, that that there's some kind of language that's inhibiting you about self-identification. Mm.
2: Yes, that's a yeah, great point. Like, that's a really good I, c- I'm a non-smoker. hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's true. I know I'm I'm just
1: an early riser. It just happens by itself.
0: I'm an early riser. And then I like to go back to bed. Yeah. I wake
1: up three, Uh, four in the morning, a stare at the wall, stare at the uh,
2: ceiling.
1: uh, I'm an early riser. I
2: like that. I do hope that, you know, yoga comes back, that yoga studios, you know, rebound from the last couple of years Mm -hmm. that there are more in-person you know, I think it's so good for people yeah. to have that to you know, have somewhere have to, go. A place to go. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely yeah. Really That's sets,
1: nice. Sets I would the, just want a place to go. I'm not an old riser. <laughs> I just, I just to, like having yeah. a I like having a place to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just
2: think it like sets the tone for the rest of the day and, and just the friendships even you know, even if you don't even if just saying hi, I think it really helps people. Yeah.
0: For mm-hmm. sure. That community, that sangha, that support system.
2: Yeah, I miss it.
0: Yeah, you had your own school for sixteen years.
2: Yeah, and it's still there thanks to my dear friend Samantha Collinson. It's called Maya Yoga, it's just Mayayoga.com in downtown Kansas City and it's mainly a Shitanga base with just a couple of Vinyasa classes and they have great teachers and they have survived COVID. There were three other studios in that area that closed. So I'm wow. r- oh, goodness. I'm r- I'm really grateful that, um, it's, it made it it, and if it ever needs to change, I understand completely, but I, I started with a different yoga studio that I had for three years with a partner and Mm in 1999, and it was like the second or third yoga studio in Kansas city and it burned down. Oh, wow. It like burned up. And someone said, I mean, it was like they investigated, no one could even figure it out. And then somebody said, I heard Shiva came down on the yoga gallery. And I go, Oh, now that I can wrap my brain around, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it was like, you know, it was like you just said, it just shifted, it, it turned it into a positive. Everybody was grieving. And I was like, You know what? and i went out on my own yeah and so she, she she kept that one and moved it to a different part of town and i stayed where we were moved a block away and it all worked out and i wow. i got to do it by myself and it was it was great it was you know as you know it's a ton of work mornings noons nights weekends i mean it was just it was it was all consuming and yeah. i i I can't remember how long I'd had it. Probably eight years, seven years. I long story. I moved to Santa Monica and owned it long distance with the hopes of meeting my husband because I knew he didn't live in Kansas City, and it, and it actually miraculously worked. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I met Wade. It took a couple years, and I almost gave up, but I went.
1: That's a phenomenal thing to say. <laughs> you you decided to operate a yoga studio remotely, yes? Because you knew your husband. Whomever that was,
0: was (laughs) in Santa
1: Monica, not at Kansas City. Yes. I just wanted to underline that.
0: (laughs) That's great faith. Yeah. It's
1: like, well, and sure enough, Wade was in Santa Monica for me to find and discover. He
2: was. That's a
1: hell of a thing to say.
2: It was, uh, you know, it was really just from. Intuition, just from God and meditation and yoga. It wasn't like I heard a voice. You're going to meet Wade in Santa Monica. <laughs> it wasn't nearly that that clear, but I knew in my heart, I had tried dating them for 10 years, and I just was like, I know my person's not here. I had already lived in Santa Monica 10 years prior, and I, I went back. I ran my studio long distance. I came home about every three months. I did everything myself from the computer. They faxed me every night. It's just such a long story, wow. but... Um,
0: that's amazing.
2: I, I, but it took me a year and nine months to meet Wade. Cause I almost quit. I actually went back and put a deposit down on an apartment because I, I was like, gosh, this is so expensive. I don't know how I can keep juggling this, you know, and I was, and so, <laughs> and then there he showed up. So we, we taught in Santa Monica together for one year And then at the end of that year, we would go back to Kansas City and teach and we would have, of course, way more people back there. And I told him, I'm like, "Oh, wow! you know, we can pretend that we can afford to keep living here or we can just go back and own our own business. And, you know, he was reluctant. And so (laughs) I wasn't super excited, but I knew that we needed to do something. And so we did and he really helped me and and we rebuilt it back up together. And they just loved him because we'd never Mm -hmm. had like a lead male teacher and he he was newer at it so he had a lot of energy and a lot of charisma yeah. and um, so we were a good team and if it wasn't for him I probably couldn't have done it that much longer but we did it for another seven years together
1: and then the two of you decided to move to, to Encinitas to be closer to the SRP to the Society for Self-Realization Fellowship and, and also be closer to Tim Miller how did you, you come to make that decision?
2: Well I, I feel a little guilt. I have a little guilt about this subject, but I just soulfully was was starting to really wind down. I was so tired, you know. I I was only forty six, but I started I started teaching at twenty seven. You know, I've been doing almost twenty years there, and I was just I was running out of energy, and I just wanted to I wanted to get out before it got worse because I was already getting irritable, and I was. Not my highest self. I was impatient. I was just like the writing was on the wall. I needed to do something and wait, wait. I was like, I need to, you know, I need to, I need to sell it while I can. And he was upset mm-hmm. with me, but you know, this is a, <laughs> uh, imagine that because he was like, you know, we have we bought a house, <laughs> we we work for ourselves. <laughs> but I was like, I just I know when it's time to go and I have to go. So I got to go with Yoga Gives Back with Kayoko to India. Mm-hmm. And I had just um, I guess hired a broker, and we were at the Ramakrishna mission in Calcutta, and which, yeah. so, which sounds very exotic, but it was right across the street from Domino's Pizza <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and very loud. <laughs> I thought we yeah. were gonna be yeah. in these sprawling hills, but she said I had a really you know mystical or magical experience here, and so I was already praying to to God and Jesus and Yogananda and the SRF guru. So I included Ramakrishna, Sharada Devi and Vivekananda in my prayers that night. And the next morning, I kid you not at five 30 in the morning, I look at my phone and my broker had the, had the buyer from my studio. I was like, Wow. wow. I was like, I knew I was like, thank you, God. I was, I mean, we hadn't met yet, but I had such a good feeling. And then from there, Um, either we had just, I think we had already been to Mysore and Saraswati was so nice. She let us do a drop in and I said, well, can I at least go in the main Shala, you know, Guruji Shala. And I, I, it makes me cry, but I got down on my knees. I was so, I had so much guilt about leaving this community I had built and I just sat there and prayed and I, I, I heard him say four things and I really felt like this is what I heard. I heard him say, it's time to go meaning to, to leave Kansas city, go practice with Tim, spend time with your husband and enjoy your life. And I was like, mm, oh. I know it was like this huge wave, this weight just like lifted. And then, then I think um, we went to Calcutta and I had that, uh, I got, I said that prayer. And so everything just started amazing. falling into place. So when I got home from India, I met the new buyer. It was a great fit. Um, my students weren't so happy with me though. And they, some of them still aren't. It's been seven years. Some of them. Even- <laughs> oh, no. I, it's sad. Some people won't even like talk to me. I know it's, but I had to, oh. I had to just take care of, it was like, a, yeah, my soul was dying. You got to take
0: care of yourself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they
2: were the wonderful. The thing
1: is about, about students is that they will leave you at the, uh, at the drop of a hat. They will go <laughs> get a new job in a different city and say goodbye but and if you look back. And never look back. But if you do it, it's like, hey, they, oh, we have a wow. community here. Oh
2: yeah. <laughs> like, lots of abandonment issues. Not everybody, but there yeah. were a couple. And it was yeah. it actually didn't end very well. And it was just so tragic because like I didn't even I didn't have children because I was so busy with everything that I like yeah. sometimes right. I think like, gosh, should I have adopted a child instead? Because like and when it came down to it, like they didn't really even, you know, but Yeah, you know, I would go back and some people would come, some people were like, you know, she left us. So it was really kind of sad. Right, yeah. They were so good to me when I was there, but it was like what you said, but if you change your mind, we Mm -hmm. don't like you anymore. So Mm -hmm. I I knew, like, I wasn't growing at all. I mean, I wasn't growing Mm -hmm. in my life. I wasn't growing. I wasn't growing. I was going backwards. So I remember I showed up. I told, I emailed Tim. Cause I'd known him for, well, 15 years at that point, And he, he'd come to Kansas city for workshops and would stay with us. Oh, and so I show up in Encinitas seven years ago in class. And, and I looked at him and I go, I, I did it. I live here now. And he, you know, Tim, he doesn't say much, but he looked at me and he goes, awesome.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, so let's great. let's yeah. turn that around. How has it been for you now emotionally for Tim to not be well and to to be absent? I mean that that's a kind of a abandonment now that you've you've got to shoulder.
2: Yeah, yeah. and you know what I actually feel I feel no abandonment whatsoever. I I just couldn't believe how much he could teach when he was teaching. He would teach mm-hmm. 12 times a week a weekend workshop out of town a month, two teacher trainings yeah. in the summer. I, I looked at him and I was like, I'm, I was worried back then, you know, way, yeah. okay. way before. So, um, I mean, I I feel like we stole all his prana. I really do. Like, I just right. feel like he, mm-hmm. he was so committed to the practice and, and would have done it till, you know, like Guruji till 90, if he could have. But yeah, I just exactly. feel like, so, um, when the studio moved, you know, and I kept going to the, to the, but you know, he actually took a little break right before COVID and it was just perfect. It was like, just let the guy rest. You know, right, I, yeah. I uh, do not feel abandoned in not even one iota. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah. I love him to the core. I send him birthday yeah. cards and Christmas cards. Like I hope I get to see him again. And if I don't, I, I know he knows I'd love him very much. Yeah.
1: So for you, you were able to have, Uh, empathy and and really appreciate what he needed
2: absolutely i i'm i'm just amazed by his dedication i mean he made it to almost 70 you know that's just like incredible i don't know how 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 he did it as long as he could and he was always pleasant and so helpful and so i got five years with him every day which was just the best that's amazing yeah Yeah. I'm so glad if I would have waited I wouldn't have gotten that and I I learned so much I had so much fun you know in the community and of course I miss it but absolutely I think he did what he you know at the end of the day you have to take care of yourself you know
0: yeah and people people will just like put yourself first yeah
2: you have to or people just expect so much out of you it's just impossible Mm -hmm. and and you know Tim's kind of a shy guy and he's you know, he loves to read and, you know, he's got his own interests and he's got a family and I, th- I think it's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. beautiful. Tim's yeah. such a beautiful spirit and an amazing teacher. Yeah. He's also very fortunate to be able to have a uh, relationship with him and practice with him. And yeah, I miss him too.
2: Oh, I'm so glad. I, I assumed you guys knew him really well. Yeah, he's yeah. he's legendary and always will be. Yeah. I mean, he just you know, I, I feel like he he just deserves the best. So um, yeah, we hope yeah. He's, we hope and he's happy. I hope I bump him to him in in Jimbo's one day. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, well, you you have a better chance of bumping yeah. into him than we do probably. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: So, at, that's interesting. I I had a different I. I had a different idea of of how long you'd been in Encinitas. So I wasn't sure if we had bumped shoulders or not. It sounds like no, because the time when I was down there a lot doing the work with the kids in the schools you were in Kansas at that point. So we wouldn't have seen each other as much. I
2: didn't know. Did you, so you lived here?
1: Well, no, I, I was there for, I was there for work really um, as often as I could be. I'd go back and forth from Stanford to, to Encinitas to oversee the program that we had going in the Encinitas schools uh, where Manju Joyce's wife, Nancy Joyce introduced us. And, and a, a lot of the teachers that, that we had had come out of Tim Miller's studio. And so, um, yes. uh, people at Tim's had introduced me to people. Oh, you should talk to her, you know, you know, Kirsten she you know she's a school teacher and works at, at Tim's that sort of thing and so I had even wondered if I had spoken to you at one point but you that that was a completely different
2: well, time I guess I think it was when I was in Kansas City one of my students did you ever meet Katie Campbell who taught for the George oh
1: sure yeah program? yeah she was that was your student
2: Katie Campbell yeah she I said look there's this great opportunity in Encinitas you should you should apply and she oh you're and she got
1: joking it. She, I interviewed her. I, <laughs> she oh talked gosh. to me from Kansas and we talked and she was our top recruit. She actually was a school teacher, not just somebody who, you know, taught kids once in a while. And so when she interviewed remotely, uh, through zoom, she had the top marks. Everyone else is wow. really floundering in the teacher interviews with the teachers and the, and the, the principal's. Um, excuse me, with the principals and the superintendent, but Katie came in, she told them exactly how to teach kids, you know, redirect, get kids back on, on, on focus on, on task and, and you just keep going. And it's like, everybody's like, Oh wow. Yeah. S- she was so smart. That's the best interview today.
2: <laughs> I was oh, like, I'm yeah, so glad. yeah.
1: And she That's killed amazing. it. She killed well, it. She's, she's- really
2: She's really gifted. We would bring our kids, you know, when Wade's kids were really young, like five, right. you know, four and eight, we would, we would bring them to the studio in Kansas city. I mean, she, she just would like turn into a, just, she just zoned in. Oh it's yeah. Like, my gosh. She is. She's a master. Kid. Master oh, I'm so teacher. Glad. Thank you for hiring her.
1: Goodness. <laughs> I, I would say that I hired her actually. And I, you know, wow. I, I, would, I went out and I recruited 10, uh, 10 people and then presented them to the superintendents, and then they basically hired all of them except one or two. And Katie crushed it. I had no idea. How did you know to present her with the opportunity? How did that come up
2: for you? Well, when I was always connected to Insanis, because I had lived here when I was really young, and then you know, with coming to see Tim often, I just always tried to stay tapped into what was Mm -hmm. going on. And I don't remember how I learned about the job opportunity, and she was trying to decide where to move. And yeah. the instantitas was on the list. And I was like, Katie, this just sounds perfect for you. Right. And I can't remember. But, you know, I know Kieran from yeah. Tim's studio. And then um, Kristen.
1: Yeah. Just
3: Kristen was up. also
1: taught for us.
2: Kristen. Yeah. And so I knew of some of the girls. But I'm so glad that Katie did such a good job.
1: She also had that Norman Allen piece in her back pocket. And that also kind of yes. really helped it. It was like... <laughs> You know, you teach, but you also have this like real pure Ashtanga in your, in your back pocket. It was like ideal. Ideal. They
2: like, she's one of the few people, maybe the only person I've ever met who was his student on a daily basis. Like I think practiced on a dirt, a dirt floor in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. um, And she, yeah, she's, she, she's, she's so great. She's in Boulder now. I need to reach out to her and see how she's doing.
1: Where did you say, where did you Boulder. say She's oh, in Boulder she's, now. Been in, oh, okay, yeah, cool. she's
2: been in Boulder for several, you know, probably gosh, when we moved here, she was here another year or two, probably five I years. Wonder,
1: I wonder if she went there to go study at the Namarupa Institute or something like that. I wonder if that. Well, that would be bell. amazing.
2: I haven't heard yeah. that. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's neatest when you're single and young, it can be kind of um, I was here when I was in my twenties, you know, it's just, yeah. Kind of a quiet community and people are doing yeah, their own yeah. thing. And I think it was, you know, and she, she's amazing. She loves the ocean and the mountains. Good for yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used to so live that- in
0: Victoria, British Columbia, and they also it's uh it can be a challenging place for especially single women. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It has a, a population, I think three to one of women to men. And oh, they wow. always say it's it's the place for the Newly wed or the nearly dead <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great wow. yes yeah, so that if you're funny? like in the middle it's maybe not the best uh, city to live in you
1: know manhattan yeah. also has that reputation it? it has it's three oh. to one single women to single men and half of the men are gay Oh, it's true. Oh, but, you know, it's really, it, it is brutal to get a date in Oh, man. oh <laughs>
2: gosh, yeah. that's so funny. You know, when Oprah had her show, she would do these like Alaska men and bring right. these guys out from, from, the, from the wilderness. And there were just, these women were going nuts, you know? For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes it. So, so I, did you work for Joyce Yoga? Is that how that I know?
1: was a director. Yeah.
2: You were and I was also
1: and I was founder as well founder and director. I was not the money. I was more of um, You were the
0: face of the program. I was
1: face. <laughs> I designed wow. the curriculum. I wrote the first year curriculum and then we used really? and then we used Eddie's curriculum after a while because it definitely worked better. Okay. Um yeah. Yeah, I oh my gosh, Gene that's Incredible. Gene Ruffin and I founded it together with um with the um through donation from 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 a generous donation from from Sony Jones,
0: but, but we need to find out what what you're up to now. Okay, there's, well, but there's great. a
1: lot going right. on here. I've got you have a cooking show. Yeah, you volunteer yeah. for the voice of the Asian Elephant Society. Oh
2: You've got gosh, a children's yes.
1: book coming out. There's just a lot going on here. <laughs> we
2: you know can't what? like when when a you,
1: sidebar yeah. to Harmony's <laughs> career. Okay, okay. Well,
2: I'll, I'll try to kind of summarize. I mean that. That is one of the you know blessings of not owning a studio. I actually have time to do some other things, you know. It's mm-hmm. um when when my husband and I moved here, first of all, we had a vegan wedding in Santa Monica with our Midwest relatives. He's from Wisconsin, <laughs> I'm from Kansas, and and everyone loved the food. So and asked and there about was so no we, cheese. There was no <laughs> cheese, there was no buttercream frosting on the cake. Oh it was all goodness. It was vegan buttercream, but, you know, they were kind of just like, wow, the food was so good. So when we Mm -hmm. moved here, I said, you know what? They just don't know what we eat. If we show them what we eat, I think it could help people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like, oh, I want to be a YouTuber, you know? And so (laughs) we started off in our old house. Kitchen was very dark and we had a bad camera, but we just started doing it. And, you know, I would get some some feedback i mean the bottom line people just want recipes just show them good food it doesn't even have to have right. the v the v word attached but we mm-hmm. really and wade's in some of the videos and now we've, we've been in this house a couple years and we upgraded our camera and lighting so it's been better but it's just been kind of a fun sidebar to show people how to cook i also do we have a, a vegan well it's actually veg friendly cl- uh, excuse me, club in Oceanside. So I do online with the high schoolers. Oh, cool. We do online cooking. It's so fun because this was during COVID. So they'll be at home with their families and we all make, you know, whatever we make. And it's, we make desserts, we make soups and stews. And so that's Mm. been really rewarding teaching the kids. I wish I would have known how to cook a lot younger. And so um, I did that and that's really fun. I got to work for the Humane Society of the United States for a year, helping to get more plant-based options on school menus and colleges and hospitals um, to help the kids establish healthy eating patterns, you know, younger and, you know, uh, hospitals will have McDonald's in them.
0: Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So (laughs) someone
2: can, someone can get out of heart surgery, you know, and say, Please go get me a Big Mac downstairs. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and then you just your arteries just start (laughs) filling up again. So it's sort of like hospitals
0: having cigarette machines in them, like Mm -hmm. back in the nineteen fifties or something.
2: Yes, it's so true. So California is trying to work on some legislation to have more plant based options and all of the above. And so working with HSUS was really was great. We had a team of. Vegan chefs, and we would go in and work with the school's chefs and their whole foods service staff. So I would plan these events, and we would, you know, we would go to Arizona, California, and it was a lot of fun because most of them had never tasted vegan food. Wow. Or or they had a child who was vegan or something. So, and then unfortunately, COVID hit, and we were not, we couldn't do our trainings anymore. And long story after sitting, I was sitting at a laptop all day, every day, and doing Zoom calls. I just, my soul was like, again, I looked at my husband and I was like, can I, can I quit? <laughs> <laughs> so I did. And my team, my former team is doing great, but they're still not a person yet, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But, but um, that was an amazing experience. And I had not really had a corporate job per se like that. And mm-hmm. I, it was great and, and it was a good experience, but then I just, I always like doing things on my own best. So it- that's,
1: your show is called Vegan Vitality.
2: Vegan Vitality, yeah. And
1: where could people find that show? Is it still going?
2: Yeah, it's just YouTube. It's under my name, Kathleen Kastner.
1: Kathleen Kastner's Vegan Vitality. And and you also are a volunteer for the Voice for Asian Elephant Society. How did that come to be?
2: Yes, yeah, so this amazing filmmaker named Sangeeta Iyer, who has lived in Toronto for 30 years via India, is a National Geographic explorer. She's a filmmaker, a biologist. She made a movie in 2016 called Gods and Shackles. Mm. And it is, I would love you to watch it. I'm going to preface that it's hard to watch, but it's on Amazon Prime. And I would love to get more yogis involved that she is from Kerala Mm -hmm. and filmed the abuse of the temple the oh, temple elephants, yeah, yeah mm. they're they are shackled and they are paraded in the they sit in the hot sun all day with fireworks lit off right behind them, I and mean, it's it's a really hard movie to watch. So I see this, she comes here, and I see the film, my head's in my lap, you know, and I'm like, yeah, oh my god, we got to do something. So that led me first. I went there's no she doesn't have a sanctuary in India, so she was modeling what she wants to have in Thailand. So I went to the Elephant Nature Park with my husband. And Lex Shaler started an amazing sanctuary there in Chiang Mai. That's been there for twenty years.
0: Yeah, I've been there. Oh, you have. Yeah.
1: You lived what? in Thailand for a while, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I, my parents and I went there. <laughs> oh, isn't it the best? Yeah, many many moons ago, <laughs> I think like two thousand and four yeah. or five, maybe two thousand and five. But yeah, it's oh, so beautiful.
2: We we actually spent a week three hours north of the park, there's a mm. program called Journey into Freedom where you just kind of, it's very primitive, but you, the elephants up there, there were only five at the time, are not injured or abused, they're not blind, they they live naturally with their moot, yeah. and so each day our guide would take us out in the forest to, to interact with the elephants in their natural environment, mm. and then the last night we went and spent the night at the park, and, you know, that has, like, you know, 500 cats, 600 dogs, a lot of them disabled and there's farm animals and then all the elephants. So uh, my goal is to go back and and bring Wade's kids and go to the park and stay for a week. And all the food was vegan because Lek, Shalert, the owner is vegan. Mm. And that was incredible. But back to Gods and Shackles. So Sangita has just released a book with Hay House India and Hay House Carlsbad by the same name, Gods Mm. and Shackles.
1: Louise Hayes's publication. Yes, yeah, yes I do Louise, remember your,
2: remember your Louise girlfriend. Hayes well. <laughs> <sighs> and so we're just thrilled. It's on the best-selling uh, best-sellers list in India right now. Oh,
0: amazing! Which
2: it goes into much more detail about what's happening to. I mean, they're you know they're kept, they're taken from the wild and shackled, and they they beat them into submission. It's it's pretty. Mm. Horrific. So she's trying to get laws passed and she started this nonprofit voice for Asian elephant society, and I'm helping her to raise awareness and funds. She's implemented some great programs already to help the human elephant conflict. It's just for one thing, I know this sounds crazy, but they can't see each other. Like it'll be so dark that the they'll collide. And so she started a flashlight program where every member of the family gets a flashlight and so that's that has helped a ton. Um, you know, the elephants will come in and eat their crops that they're depending on for their livelihood. So mm. she's just mm. working to help things like that. Right now, she's yeah. got a she's working with the railroads. I mean, the elephants for some reason do not hear the rumbling of the trains and are literally. I don't even want to show you pictures, but they're bad.
1: yeah, they like, get hit, don't they?
2: like five of them mom, baby, five will just get taken out by a train because the conductor can't see them in time or stop so it takes a while
1: to stop a train. yeah
2: yeah, oh it does that yes so i'm gonna, I'm gonna send you an email just because she sent out good news today. We don't have a lot of good news lately, but <laughs> of her program with the that she's gonna be working with the train conductors and she's so excited. Oh, so, yeah, so I'm I'm helping her because she's, you know, she's just a newer nonprofit. Dr. Jane Goodall has written the forward to her book. Mm-hmm. She has a video testimonial on the page of the nonprofit site. So thank goodness she's endorsing Sangeeta's work. And so I'm really excited to help the elephants in India because they're very at risk of going extinct. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah so-
1: you just have a giant heart. Aww. It's really <laughs> sweet.
3: That's, um,
0: well, I really—it's kind of been a theme for your whole <laughs> life. You've That's been a voice for the the animals yeah. your whole life. I Really, I just yeah. think animals
2: are so precious, and they just deserve, you know, to be treated with compassion and respect. And and the world is changing for sure. I I'm very hopeful. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hmm. yeah it's much easier to be vegan today than it was back in. 1989. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or even 99, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah.
2: And if, even if people aren't, you know, um, like when I worked for the Humane Society, my apron said, eat more plants and less meat. Yeah. And less meat. So we weren't trying to make people be vegan because, you know, that can be overwhelming. But just, I just try to encourage people to eat more plant based foods whenever you can.
1: Yeah. It's so funny. My, I was, it was 1987. I went to visit my dad, and it was that summer we, we were only eating tofu. <laughs> That's
2: incredible. And I've never, Russell.
1: we were in the central Illinois oh about uh, an hour west of Mattoon, which was the central hub. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just like, I still can't quite wrap my head around what happened to him. Cause later on, like he was, we would, ha- he introduced me to Fettuccine Alfredo for the first time. and I remember that, <laughs> but it was just like, what happened in 1987 dad in central Illinois that you went full vegan? And I'm just, <laughs> can't quite wow, figure it out. I need to. That's
2: the coolest ever. You're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: was a weird one. It was a weird one for sure. But it's certainly a lot easier now. You can't even go through Kentucky Fried Chicken now without yeah. them offering you the vegan yeah. option. Yeah,
2: they have Beyond Meat yeah. now. They have that. Yeah. It's really, there's plant based options almost everywhere and in fast food. That's so funny yeah. you said that because I was in Kansas with my mom in the fall and. I had made some tofu and she's, she's pretty open, but boy, she might as well have had a 10 foot pole tasting that tofu. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she looked at me like, she just like took off the tiniest corner. I'm like, mom, it's, it's like the texture of chicken. You know, it was all boiled and fluffy. And she's like, oh, that's not so bad, but you could tell she was never going to do it
1: again. It's like eating a piece (laughs) of bread. You know, it's just like, it's not. It's the texture. The texture is like, it's just.
0: That's so funny, though. Like my parents, because I went vegan when I was 16. Oh my gosh, Harmony. Yeah. I didn't stay vegan. Though, okay. but Still. <laughs> I did have like this period of time where I was vegan and I'd just oh. read a uh, diet for a small planet. And so I was making like uh scrambled tofu for my parents and I try and like make them different things using tofu. And my parents were very like, um, that's nice. We really appreciate you made us breakfast. We just don't really like tofu. But then over the years, it's been interesting because we keep I keep feeding them tofu in different things. Yeah. Wow. And now they actually don't have such an aversion to it. The so they kind of got used to it.
2: Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's amazing. You know, that's the same book that helped me go vegan, Diet for a New America by John Robbins. Yes, yep. yes. It's so impactful. Oh, gosh, He's, he is literally my number one vegan hero. He chucked, you know, the whole... Baskin Robbins plant
0: based. I mean, yes, I mean, excuse me, Fortune to go plant based. Yeah, it's
1: amazing. Yeah, we were we were just watching um, the National Ge- Geographic uh, Jeff Goldblum special, which is oh. amazing. Oh. Yeah, was it the it's world so, according
0: to Jeff Goldblum? The world okay, according to Jeff Goldblum. It's amazing.
1: That. It's so quirky and funny. And one of the episodes is is about ice cream. The other one's like about. tattoos tattoos or or gym shoes it goes and he investigates the whole thing and he went up to um it's
0: on it's on disney plus okay thank you
1: and he he went up to go interview the baskin robbins guys is it
0: yeah no it's not baskin robbins uh tom no not ben and jerry he went
1: he, he went to go interview the ben and jerry's guys and I did notice that one of them did not eat his ice cream cone.
0: Also, oh. no one of them one of them got sorbet, like a uh, plant based, and he said it in it because oh, he said one, it was a sorbet? yeah, one of them doesn't eat dairy at all yeah, anymore. Yeah. But oh, wow. they, they didn't go into it on they the
1: they didn't no. they didn't but, stress it. But yeah. he
0: did get Jeff to taste it, and he said it's all plant based. Wow, that's, that's so that's oh, okay, so yeah.
2: good for them. Well, you know, I believe with. John Robbins, you know his uncle and his dad were the baskin Robbins duo, and yeah. the, right. the uncle yeah. I think died of heart disease in, in like 50, in his early fifties, and the dad yeah. got type two diabetes from and right. John thought it was from all the i mean he said they had yeah they had ice cream for breakfast, they had an ice cream cone cake <laughs> pool, you know they were. You know the whole China study is based on the pro the dairy dairy casein causing cancer yeah yeah Um, yeah, that's right and my husband who just walked in when he was a cop he said he ate a lot of bed and jerrys and then he ended up getting cancer right yeah Yeah. and he he was that yeah he was very stressed too though
0: yeah but there is there's I mean there is science behind behind it (laughs) I mean the China study is a great book to that shows that there is you know, this is more than just correlation. It's pretty strong
2: science. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's an amazing book, mm-hmm. and that's how I noticed
0: that you and I read a lot of the same books because also Meditations from the Mat was one of the first books that really like inspired me in. In my daily yoga practice, Aww. and like developing a daily practice too, I was like, "Oh my gosh, we've been on the
2: same book journey." I know, <laughs> you know. I was thinking of you with your vipassana. One of my first meditation books was Jack Cornfield, "A Path with Heart." Oh, right, yeah. that's beautiful. That one's like the best. And then Teek Han wrote this beautiful little book called "Be Still and Know." Uh, yes and, i have that oh one. yeah i just i can barely say his name without bursting into tears
1: oh he just I passed know. i
2: know he's just such a pure just like an angel yeah um, and he was, well, he was vegan and i was so grateful and his monasteries were vegan
0: in the, yeah, And yeah, he was qu- quite an activist as
2: well yes very much. Well, the
1: worst thing is would be if these old people wouldn't ever die. <laughs> that would be the I actual know. worst if they just kept going. I mean, so we don't want that. I mean, had he
2: really, heard he had a stroke and hadn't been able to talk for the last few years.
1: Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah I well, think that's he, not so nice. I think nice, he
0: was not in, in a pleasant, maybe like a little bit of a suffering state. Yeah.
2: Yeah. If you follow on Instagram, if you go to Plum Village, yesterday they were carrying his ashes. It was so profound. Mm. wow. Yeah, it's really, but he's, you know, there's that documentary called Walk With Me about Mm. Plum Village. And he, you know, he was like, I will always be with you. You know, it's so sweet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And the little kids are like, Tay, Tay is with me. Kay's in the clouds. (laughs) Yeah. David
1: Lynch made that film, right? Fire Walk with Me, and then
3: (laughs) there was the uh,
1: Laura Palmer was. was Uh, No, that's she was in Plum Village. No,
0: gosh, that's not it. Bob, right? Bob was a major
1: figure at the village. No,
0: that's the other one.
1: Well, maybe you could tell us about your new book. Okay,
2: thank thank you. So I know. So this is completely a shift for me because I've never had children but I had I'm ai am a bona fide crazy cat lady I love (laughs) cats I volunteer my animal shelter in the cat room with the other crazy cat ladies and so I've been really blessed to have amazing cats but I had two brother cats Julian and Oliver and they I got them when they were rescued off the street some beautiful woman brought them to my vet and I had, they lived to be 17 and 20. My Oliver just passed last year. And so we were like the three amigos. This is pre-Wade, you know, we, we, <laughs> you know um, even before I owned my yoga studio. So they were like my best friends and soulmates. So when Oliver passed, I was very distraught and I just decided, you know what, I, I'm going to write a book about my boys. And so it's called Karma Cats to the Rescue and they are little superhero cats. That's amazing, and they help other animals in need. So it's very, it's very fun. It's like it's a long story. I had to rewrite it, change illustrators, but I have an amazing illustrator in Vietnam, and mm. she is just she is just knocking it out of the park. It's like a little Pixar, Pixar cats, you know. And she's just doing uh-huh. such a great job. So we have a ways to. We only on page eleven. She's got twenty more pages. So I'm hoping summer, maybe the end of summer. It's up to her, but my end, my part of it is done. I'm just, you know, waiting on her, but it's, it's a really precious story. And I, I have some sequels planned, Karma Cats to the Farm and Karma Cats to the Sea and hopefully Karma mm. Cats to the Elephant Park in Thailand. <laughs> yeah. Is, is, yeah.
1: Is Hay House your publisher? How do you, how do you get all this, these publications? You know what?
2: I wish, wouldn't that be a miracle? No, I, I just self-publishing because okay. if something would happen and, um, of course, I would, you know, entertain the idea. Jump on it. Yeah, the um, <laughs> Hay House. You cannot submit your own um, manuscript. You either have they, f- to- they, f-
1: they go and find it. You doctor. have to
2: have an agent, or if you right. attend one of their workshops for writing, I believe that there's a chance that they may pick one of you.
0: Right.
3: Yeah, yeah, which,
2: yeah. Is, which is amazing and I understand. So, um, I am just going to write it and put it out there and see what happens. Wow. Yeah. You've so much creative energy. It's
0: <laughs> boundless. Really cares, yeah. Cares. It's amazing.
2: Oh, I, I never really thought of myself that way, but I I will take that. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: it's there. I mean, you've it's like it's like when you were a child, you had so much like active mo- mm-hmm. movement energy and you've just channeled that into like creativity now.
2: Yeah, I'm really, I'm really grateful that I've had some ideas because I, I got kind of depressed after I owned my studio because my identity was so wrapped in it. It was really, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't even healthy anymore. I'm like, gosh, who am I without my studio? And right. uh, you know, how everybody has their signature and their email with all their credentials. One day, Exactly. One day I just took them all off. I'm like, I am no, I am no one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but if I have to admit it.
2: Like, let's see what else can happen. I don't need to, you know. It was just kind of yeah. like non-attachment. I don't need to be this. I don't need to be an ex- any of this, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, for a lot of us, you know, who've been doing Ashtanga yoga for twenty-five or thirty years, it does. When you make a choice to say, "Well, I'm not going to teach," and I'm going to take the, you know, Stanford University, I'm gonna take Stanford University off my email signature. It does. It does. It can hit pretty hard you know, that whole, that whole sense of self-identification and attachment and identification with a, with a brand. And you start to say, "Well, well, what am I now?
2: I know it was, it was, it was an ass kicker and it was really good for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because it really kind of opened me up because I I'm very aware of my mortality. I want to live a long life, but I also know that I have no idea. I don't have children, you know, Yogananda has helped me. I have zero fear of dying whenever it happens. You know, mm-hmm. I just know that I'm here and I, I really want to do what God put me here to do. I want to do everything I can in, until it's time. So It's good to clear the slate because I feel like it opens the door for something new. And even though you can't see it, but just like little ideas start popping in your head. And then I just encourage people to act on them, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And you're also doing some work with uh, Yoga Gives Back, too. You're an ambassador, right? Yes, I love going to – did you go with Kayoko? I never went with Kyoko, no.
2: It was really the best thing ever. I mm-hmm. I just loved meeting the women who received the microloans. That was yeah. absolutely incredible for me. I think that was really the, maybe my best experience of my whole life.
0: Wow. That and the
2: elephants. But meeting those women who were so beyond grateful, I mean, they, mm. they would – first they worship Kayoko as they should, but just being affiliated with her, they're down touching your feet, you know, they were so grateful. I got to meet nine different groups to see what they're doing and they would hire their friends from the local communities because I mean, you know, if you're, you're like a domestic slave all day, you're just sitting in your house all day, you know, working for your family, usually the husband's family and you don't, you don't get to do much. So to see them getting out of their Mm -hmm. house and, having this circle of community doing their crafts was just the mm. best. And then we saw two two of the young girls taking their YGB bank bag, going to the bank to make a deposit.
3: Awesome. <laughs> you
2: know, so you know how much power, you know, so many of them are abused, don't get fed, sleeping yeah. outside. I mean, we saw it all. It was terrible. I had no idea the abuse mm. was so bad, but, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's rampant. It's like. <laughs> it's really, it's, it was so, so depressing, but like, thanks yeah. to Kyoko and everybody who donates and, and all the ambassadors like you, I mean, they really are changing lives. I mean, that yeah. whole saying for one yoga class, it could change a life. I mean, it's true. They can take $50 U S and spin it into a whole business with their, you know,
0: yeah, with their, it's so, yeah, it's so amazing. It's, and I think, just like you're saying, if you've spent any time with with women in India who especially are of a lower caste class or caste, who you know basically are domestic servants yep. for their in laws, yep. and you know abuse is just considered um, part of the package. I remember speaking with my nanny, and she was telling me that her uh, sister's husband was abusing like hitting her mm. and i said why doesn't she leave and he, she says well she would get more abused leaving him mm-hmm. by others Ugh. physically than staying with him yeah I, I just and yeah the only thing that that helps change these situations is empowering women and giving them the power to make their own money to create bank accounts for themselves to have work outside of the home it's it's incredible.
2: It is. I mean Kayoko has single handedly changed, I can't even mean thousands of lives. And then we spent a week with those women and then we spent a week with the children at Dina Bandu, which is about Chama Rajnagar is about an hour from Mysore. And mm-hmm. that was incredible. Those kids, some are some are orphans, some are from poor families and can't afford school. So they live there with the most amazing man who's like Gandhi, Dr. J Dev. And they are just brilliant, beautiful children. They get up early, they meditate together, they eat together, they go to school it was It was fascinating, and they were so nice they They look at me and they like, "I love your chin <laughs> my, my chin." You know, yeah. I mean, I'm so, I'm so like white Kansas, you know. So I really, I really, it's like I never thought about my chin before. Uh, yeah. And you're, and you're blonde too. I mean, they really love. It. It's just so, yeah. and they were just, I just, so I, I adore yeah. them. I wanted to. You can ask Wade. I always wanted to adopt like an eight-year-old girl from India, and mm-hmm. I had my eye on a few. and Wade's like, she has parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah nick one
3: you
2: cannot nick. take her but um yeah Put her in the suitcase I, if you ever can go harmony it's just it was so yeah, rewarding love it was and it just you know and now i don't have a studio i don't have i don't even teach her so i'm hoping to do an online vegan cooking class for ygb because i had done that for the elephant nature park during covid and it was really fun so that's that's how I hope to That's, contribute. <laughs> yeah,
0: that sounds great. Yeah. That sounds Wonderful. Mm. Well,
1: thank you so much for sharing everything that you do oh my with us today. It's really fantastic. And I
0: hope some people check you out on YouTube and like come to some of your online courses and you have a retreat coming up, I think in Costa Rica or somewhere yeah. beautiful. We just actually got home
2: this weekend, but we're going to do it again next March and it's on my website. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you both. Yeah. I feel like we're all besties now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I would love to come by. And meet Wade. Yeah,
0: If I'm in your area, I'm definitely oh, going to look you absolutely. up. Absolutely, <laughs> please. And
2: if you're doing a, I can't. If you're doing a workshop, I can come watch. I'm not sure I can do everything anymore, but <laughs> uh, uh, don't worries, do no worries, no worries. It'll be gentle um, yoga. Yeah, yeah. I would love to. And the other thing I mean, I'm getting into is sound healing, which has been really beautiful. Crystal bowls.
0: Yeah. Oh, like the like those sound baths. Yeah, doing sound baths. Oh, so I get, yeah. if you guys come, I'll give you a sound bath. Okay. Oh, that would be amazing. For sure. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. It was so wonderful. Thank you both. Take good care. You, you too. too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
3: Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a hardware so